Hello, welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we are going to be discussing Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the role-playing game, for about an hour. I look forward to it. How about you? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I do enjoy mostly this game. Mostly, Oh, you mostly enjoy this game, or you, you enjoy mostly this game? Yes. Okay, just checking. Uh, Alright, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a Unisystem game. Came out in the mid-90s, which makes sense. Uh, you had to strike while the iron was hot with Buffy, and you couldn't predate it. So, came out in the mid-90s. Unisystem is a C.J. Corella joint. He was the designer of that game system. Uh, we, you and I, know C.J. Corella because he's a designer for Rifts as well. He wrote, yeah, he uh, wrote a couple of really awful Rifts books. Some of the worst. Uh, in my opinion, he also wrote some of the more interesting ones. I, I'm a huge fan of Rifts Under Seas, which he did. Who I doesn't know- want a good killer whale man? <laughs> That's <laughs> just that. You can play as killer whales. Like, not even special killer whales. You can just play as... Oh, and gray whales and sperm whales. You can just play as them. You oh, just, yeah, yeah, It's great. It's like Darwin from Sequest. And, what the fuck? I, I watched like three episodes of that the other day. Otherwise, no one would ever make that reference, ever. <laughs> Everyone's like, wait a minute, what the hell is Sequest? Sequest, you say? Didn't that star the guy from Jaws? Sequest? Wasn't, wasn't that a cartoon on Adult Swim? Uh, probably. It should be. Anyway, C.J. Corella made, in addition to Rift's Mercenaries, Rift's Underseas, he also made Rift's South America 1 and 2. At some point along that line, he also developed his own role-playing game system. He called it Unisystem. Uh, it's very similar to kind of Dungeons and Dragons-y GURPSiness. Like, it's got elements of both of those. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it has, it has the six stats. You would recognize the six stats as being... Dungeons and Dragons stats, if you were looking closely. It's got, in particular, the physical stats. They are just the standard Dungeons and Dragons. Well, it's the standard role-playing yeah, stats. Everyone's Every got those. single role-playing Yeah, game it's got it. strength, dexterity, and constitution. Ta-da! Yeah, done. And then it's got some uh, some mental stats. And I, I Remind me what the mental stats are for Buffy. Uh, intelligence, perception, and willpower. It's willpower? Okay, I thought it was cool for some reason. Okay, so... The Unis system was used to make a variety of games. Some of them were in-house creations. Uh, I think I think it called like All Demons Must Die, stuff like that. But also they had what they called the cinematic rule set, which was allowing characters to be a little more cool, a little more uh, movie-like. And they made a couple different games in the cinematic universe, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we're talking about today, Angel, because you have yeah. to have that spinoff, and uh, the one I'm really looking forward to, acquiring and reading, uh, they did a Army of Darkness version. Yeah, which is odd, considering at least the, the Buffy and Angel one are ensemble casting, so it sort of works to have a group roleplay in that. But the Army of Darkness universe, I mean, you really just have Ash and then a bunch of cannon fodder. Uh, it's absolutely true, but I could see Ash hanging around with Buffy. <laughs> if you really wanted to combine the rules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's just CJ Corella came from the Palladium Megaverse. I don't see any particular reason why you couldn't have Buffy going back to the 16th century and getting a chainsaw for a hand or whatever. <laughs> sounds pretty rad to me. So, the Unisystem uses fairly low stats. They usually range from, like, 2 to 6. And uh, Yeah, 6 is the peak human. If you're not some sort of supernatural being or whatever, then you top out at 6. Yeah. And what's the basic mechanic? Uh, basic mechanic is D10... And just a single D10, so not like the uh, the sort of white wolf thing where you just have a whole bunch of D10s that you're using. So it's, uh, you have your stat and your ability, roll a D10, add it together, see if you actually succeed on whatever the difficulty is. Okay, so you, for example, if you want to hit a guy, then you're going to use, and let me see if I got this right, getting medieval, 
for your stat. And we're going to get to why it's called Getting Medieval in a minute, because, oh my god, this game. So you're going to use your Dexterity plus Getting Medieval. So if you have a Dexterity of 3 and a Getting Medieval of 2, and then you have a 5, and then you have to roll a 5 or under on a D10 to hit the guy. No. Uh, you add whatever your Uh-oh. stat and ability is to your die roll. Oh, against a target number. Yeah. So, so D10 bas- plus 5. Yeah, basically, uh, I think the succeeding on pretty much anything... The low end is you need, like, a 9. Okay. So an easy thing to do, like, even just, I want to try to hack my library computer to get onto a decent website. Okay, that's fairly low. You need a 10. Okay. So you get your intelligence and computer and then roll a d10 and see if you get it. Great. Is it called computer? Probably. Yeah. It, let's talk about why I was making fun of getting medieval. Yeah, they... They have some fanciful terms for things in this. They really tried to get into the Buffy universe for naming conventions and things like that. Uh, a lot. So instead of, like, melee, you're using weapons, it's getting medieval. And instead of, I'm going to repair this thing, it's Mr. Fix-It. And, and this isn't just in the names of things. This is the whole book from cover to cover. From the minute you open the book, it says, like, Hi, Slappy, thanks for purchasing this. Or maybe you stole it. Or maybe upperclassmen pushed it onto your head and you it fell open. And you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, yeah. The whole book is just... I'm not even sure what voice that is. Like, I, okay, I know that the Buffy universe had kind of a distinctive lingo or, or cadence to it. Um, yeah, it really feels like this is... Your dad trying to be the hip, cool guy when your friends are over and just embarrassing you. He comes out and he's like, Hey, you rad kids, I see you're getting tubular on the video games. And you're like, Dad, get the hell out of here. Don't you want to hang ten with some pie? Oh, Dad! By pie, I mean za. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it... It really tries to be that hip, cool lingo that the kids are using these days in the Buffy universe, but just feels very forced. And the book actually has a section in it that is dedicated to teaching you, the player, to talk like that. Yeah, in case you don't understand how people talk, then here's a way to figure out how the Buffy universe works. It's real simple. You just put Mr. in front of everything. Whatever they're doing, you come up with a Mad Lib noun for what they're doing, add Mr. or Mrs., and you're off to the races. Yeah. So if someone's fighting, then they're Mr. Fighty. Yeah. You know, i, I got to be honest, I've read more of this book than I have seen of the show. Which is very sad. I mean, this is a, this is a great, culturally important show that you have missed out on. Uh, I'm sure it is, and I don't want to alienate the audience and make them think I'm some sort of non-nerd. <laughs> uh, you know, I, granted, I am currently cradling a football lovingly. Uh, and, like, as we speak, I have a football in one arm, and in the other arm I am noogieing a lower classman. Yeah. Uh, however... I, I, it's not that I didn't want to watch Buffy, it's just for whatever reason I didn't. I think I was just grounded between 1992 <laughs> and 1996. Uh, <laughs> so I just didn't watch Buffy. I, I would love to. I, I'm a Joss Whedon fan. I, I, I've seen almost everything else in the canon, I just somehow skipped this. Yeah, and the amusing as it is, the section in the back where it's like, if you want to sound like Buffy, then try and give someone a name that's like, she of the hacking into the systems and, you know, trying to get you into that Buffy lingo. It's sad when you go back and watch Buffy and you realize that this is actually happening in every episode. It's very on the ball, with the big difference being that it's being delivered by professionally trained hot people. Yeah. Yeah. You have a director that's telling you when to do this and when not, 
instead of a book that's just like, you should go nuts and say this all the time. Yeah, and, and it's it's very apparent that it wants everyone at the table to be going maximum Buffy language at all times. And to be perfectly honest, it sounds awful to me. I, I, here's, here's the thing. John and I are both real role-playing game type guys. We'll sit around tables, we'll roll dice... We will, we will poke things with 10-foot sticks. Whenever I come across a game that has these suggestions in it, like, hey, to make the game more interesting, talk like this, or don't steal the DM's pizza, <laughs> then, then I know the game's not going to be especially good because it's trying to force this cadence on you that is going to be so annoying. It, you play video, role-playing games for four hours at a time. You sit, down at, you sit down at one and you stop playing when it's dinner time. Yeah, the, I mean, the main issue with a role-playing game that really wants you to get into a specific voice or a specific type of play kind of hinders what the players are doing. It, it basically tells you, uh, whatever you were planning on doing with your character, try and incorporate this, whether it makes sense or not. Yeah, yeah. And this game goes out of its way to reward you for talking like, like a Buffy person, which is fine. Um, what do they call themselves? Scoobies? Yeah, you Scoobies. get the Scoobies or the Scoobies. White Hats. Oh, okay, yeah. So let's talk about that. This game's got three character classes. Um, and if you're wondering about, like, well, can I play a vampire? Or what if I want to play a Seth Green or whatever? Um, then there are races, sort of. Like, the, I guess you'd call vampire a, 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 sort of a race. Well, it's, but, it's mostly a uh, benefit package. Yeah, it's a package. And it's in the, the, the bonus section, which we'll talk about. There's a bonuses and drawbacks in this game, which is why I was referencing GURPS earlier, because... It's a very GURPSy system right around that point. But let's talk about there's there's three classes. Uh, there's White Hat. Yep. And that's what almost the entire Scooby team is. Yeah. Any of your basic, you know, high, any of the high school students that would be at Sunnydale High, uh, even things like uh, the Watcher, so if you were Giles, any of the ones that aren't supernatural, essentially. Yeah, Buffy's mom, any, yeah. anyone along those lines. Those are White Hats. You've got Hero. And that's what your Buffy is. Buffy's at, Buffy at the beginning of the, the story is a hero, and then you have your experienced hero. An experienced hero is basically just a hero with more XP. Yeah, which is funny because it starts with you know the same zero XP. It's just it it's for basically playing a higher power game if you want. When they do little pictures for each one of them, it's got uh, I think I believe it is Xander representing the white hats, and and Xander, if you haven't watched the show like me, is a goofball that hangs around with Buffy. Yeah, he's sort of the comic relief. Yeah, character. and then for Hero, it's uh, I think it's uh, one of her boyfriends from one of the seasons. That would be Riley, Riley, the initiative soldier. Yeah, and then experienced Hero is actually a picture of Buffy, and that's you know they're saying you could play all three of these classes at the same time and have a reasonably okay story. It's gonna be unbalanced, but it's not like this game is player versus player. So go ahead, but it does recommend that you not let players play experienced heroes. Um, yeah, well, the experienced hero is there essentially for. Uh, they have this game starts timeline wise. It came out right after season five, so they they say if you wanted to do something in the timeline that was early seasons, back before people got super powerful, had a bunch of weird things that they could do, go ahead and play White Hats and just Heroes. If you want to play with the later seasons, Willow is a super powerful witch, and so on then make an experienced hero, and then you can sort of be up to speed with the universe. Right. And so, okay, a white hat is just a dude, and the way that they balance out white hat versus hero is that white hats get more of what are called drama points. Yeah. Uh, drama points are basically just kind of like, oops, I fucked up, type fix points. They, they will let you uh, 
get out of jail free. They'll let, or you can use them just to just buy extra successes towards towards uh, it, achieving a goal. It's basically narrative control yeah. as a mechanic. Yeah. So that's what you get. You get more of those. So uh, I think a white hat ends up with like twenty of them, and a hero ends up with ten, but with better stats in general. In practice, this isn't going to play out very well because it's very easy to acquire those. Uh, you just buy them with XP. So it takes very little time before a white hat is outshined by heroes in basically every way. Well, the problem is you. I mean, you start out with double the drama points, so that's great. But drama points don't regenerate. It is a one-use item. You use a drama point, you don't get that one back. Yep. And you can get them with XP, and white hats do get them for it, half the discount. cost. Yeah. But any XP you spend on drama points is not XP that you are spending to make your hero better in any mechanical way. You know, actually, I think I might prefer that. I, I'm gonna. I, I'm having a change of heart while I'm talking. Uh, I like that because it encourages you to play a goofball who's not good at anything forever. You just keep buying these narrative oops points and jar-jarring your way through the game. And that's basically Xander in this game, because yeah. Xander in the TV series, he's just a guy. He's one of the only characters throughout the entire show that doesn't get superpowers. He doesn't become any goofy thing. Ditch digger, I believe. He becomes a construction worker. Close enough. <laughs> oh, you're pissing off all the construction workers. That's right. I'm, I'm All uh, the classist. construction workers that I, are listening to this podcast. I'm classist against the blue collar. Yep, we certainly are. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you could make someone like that, that maybe he'll get a little stronger, maybe he's a little better at certain abilities, but mostly he's there to have the drama points and you can affect the narrative. Yeah. And because yeah. you get to affect the narrative, you never feel like you aren't doing anything. Yeah. Okay, well, then that, that actually comes around and makes a little bit of good sense. So, uh, drawbacks and, uh, penalty drawbacks and bonuses. Mm-hmm. The system has those, and if you've played role-playing games, you know what these are. Usually they are... You know, your character has some impairment. Oh, I'm missing an eye. Or maybe they have some strong penalty. Oh, I've got an unusually strong sense of smell. And you get a number of points that you can start to purchase them with. I think most of the classes in this get like 10 points to purchase bonuses. And you can take the drawbacks to get extra points. Yeah. And there's a maximum number you can do. uh, So you can only have up to 10 points worth of drawbacks added to your original pool. So you can get up to like 20 points worth of bonuses in the first place. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. Um... This game has a lot of them, and I am on record as not really liking these systems, because to me they generally tend to become ways to purchase penalties that are actually just buying the spotlight. And if not buying the spotlight, then at least things that don't ever matter. Yeah. There's always shit in these things like halitosis, uh, you know, oh, uh, there's a person who hates me. Yeah, and when you're playing in a game that's specifically about, oh, you're fighting, like, vampires and demons. You're like, I took a penalty, and, you know, there's a vampire that doesn't like me. Oh, well, yeah, you're killing vampires professionally. Of course they don't like you. This one has a couple of them that I think are particularly egregious. Uh, I I would say the class clown one. The class clown, you get one point for being jokey, and that's it. There's no mechanical drawback, and it just says... Maybe you're making jokes at inopportune times. Which means maybe you're playing a role-playing game with your friends. Yeah. Yeah, so you get a bonus point, and it basically is sort of a handshake agreement that you're going to always be telling jokes all the time. So I feel like everyone's just going to take that, because, I don't know, maybe it's because I've never really sat in on one of those ultra-serious role-playing game sessions (laughs) where no one's telling jokes or making references to Monty Python, um, (laughs) or stealing the DM's pizza... Yeah, the, well, I mean, the class clown thing is, 
there's going to be several people who, of course, are going to want to make characters that aren't the main cast, but are basically just the main cast with some twist. So there's going to be at least someone that's like, I want to be Xander, I want to be that, but I'm also a badass kung fu guy, so I'm a class clown, and that'll give you one more point to spend towards being a badass kung fu guy. Yeah, and I feel like every character on Buffy was a class clown. I, I think like they were just speaking entirely in quips all the time. Um, well, you had people who were very... I make a lot of references, which is another thing that the back of the book suggests you do, which is make a lot of pop culture references. But you didn't have people that their whole thing was being the class clown. So, like, Willow and Buffy may have made references to stuff, but you didn't really get the sense that they were going out of their way to be jokey. Yeah. yeah. You can also be ugly or attractive. And I like that the book does say that pretty much everyone that went to Sunnydale High was at least one point of attractive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, you can also be an artist. There's all kinds of these. These just go on for pages and pages. Oh, here it is. It's called Clown. That's the one that I, I'm, I'm so much against. It's a one-point drawback, and you have to constantly make jokes. Wise guy, eh? The clown refuses to take things seriously and is always coming up with jokes and wisecracks, even at the most inopportune moments. So that's that's not a penalty. I, <laughs> hey guys, I have to tell these bad jokes. Yeah, and I mean, it's not even like you have a one-point drawback that's violent and you will be prone to starting combat when you shouldn't. Because then, at least, you can mess up a narrative and there's some chance that you might be annoying to the rest of the party that way. But with the clown, you're like, I make a joke, and if the DM isn't like, you just made a joke and this demon hates jokes and he immediately attacks you, then it's just, okay, thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah. You also have humorless. That's the other end of the, the other side of the same coin. You can be someone who doesn't like jokes at all. Uh, no penalties. Actually, you get one point worth of drawback bonuses. Yeah. Uh, and ex- in exchange, you don't laugh at anyone's jokes. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, you can easily make a character that's got a rigid code of honor, has a doomed love, and is the class clown. Um, and your result is that you get like six points worth of bonus points to spend on things, and you just have to act like a goofball. Yeah. Well, the problem with any uh, drawback merit system is you almost invariably come up with... Well, it'll say every system has some limit. Like, you can get five points, you can get ten points, whatever. Uh, And every single character looks at the you can get up to as you need to buy this many. So even if it doesn't make sense for your character to have some drawback, every player is looking at it like, okay, well, I... I'm missing. I'm just leaving points on the table if I don't get at least ten points worth of drawbacks. Mm-hmm. So what are the ones that don't matter? And let's all just take those and we'll move along. This is why I never really liked playing GURPS is because every character. And the reason I keep saying it is because it was the easiest one to do in GURPS was halitosis. Your well, character has unreasonably bad breath. You get plus two character points or whatever. Eh. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to wear power armor the whole game, or I'm a caveman and I should probably have bad breath anyway. Again, it should be up to your DM to just go, no, you cannot keep making stupid things that don't matter. Yeah. But so often you have DMs that just don't care. You tell them, I took ten points worth of drawbacks, these are what they are, and they just go, okay, that's great. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily reflect upon this as a failure in the design of this game. I actually kind of like the design of this game. Uh, I just noticed that this is a regular issue that this type of system enc- uh, encounters when you're, when you're building role-playing games. If you put in the, the penalty merit system, you're going to generally open yourself up to abuse. It's very hard not to. Yeah, and I understand what they were going for with this as far as the point by system. 
uh, as far as spending points. Like, to be the Slayer, it's not, I'm playing the Slayer class. It's spend 15 bonus points, and you get the Slayer package, which comes with a bunch of uh, bonuses and a few penalties. Yeah, it even comes with stat upgrades. Like, if you have a, a dexterity of 5 and you're the Slayer, then it goes to 6. So that's a neat trick. That's that's the, the equivalent of playing a race in this game. If you're a vampire or a werewolf... Yeah, it comes um, with yeah. stat bonuses and ability packages, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely one of the cooler parts. And, you know, I, I appreciate this game's attempt to do this as a design. I, I, I'd like to see the other games in the same system to see if they, they work in a similar way. Uh, you know, I'd like to see what the penalties and merits of being Ash are, for example. Yeah. To me, this still rings better than some other some other merit systems... Uh, Exalted is a good example. Exalted, like the first edition of that, had the whole... The oh, backgrounds. The backgrounds. It's like, oh, I have three points in Mentor, so I have a guy who likes me and wants to help me out and teaches me things. I have five points in Mentor. I have an incredibly important special guy who doesn't like me and never has time for me. Oh, why, <laughs> why did I spend extra points on that? <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, there's always the, okay, what is the best thing for my character? Do I want to spend points on contacts so that I might be able to roleplay out finding some information or spend it on artifacts so I have a giant fuck-off weapon that I can kill dudes with. Yeah, that was absolutely true. I mean, you always took artifact points because artifacts were cool, and then the weirdest thing about that game to me was always that kind of tipping point power level, where if your character got... Usually it was three, because everything in the Exalted system is a five-dot system. So if you had three dots in, say, for example, uh, power... Then you were like, oh, uh, I, I run a small town, and it's pretty rad, and I can get what I need out of the townspeople, and it's great. If you roll in five, and you're like, I'm a king, and everyone hates me, and there could, people are constantly trying to assassinate me and undermine me at every turn. And it was like, why, why did that happen? <laughs> why isn't five points more powerful than three points? I mean, it is, but it, it just seems to come with a lot of built-in drawbacks. This doesn't do that. Uh, bonuses are bonuses. There are a couple of weird things, like if you're the Slayer... Vampires and demons hate you because yeah. you're the Slayer. You automatically get the, you have an enemy and it's vampires and demons, and you automatically get the, uh, you have an oath to being the Slayer, so you've got a three-point oath that you have. Yeah, but that's, that makes sense. No, it's just sort of, these are the things you would have as this character, Yeah, and we're giving you a whole crap load of points worth of stuff, so this just offsets that. Mm-hmm. So, overall... This has a bunch of goofy, abusable shenanigans in it, but beyond that, it's playable. This is not a terrible system. And it doesn't have too many. I mean, like you mentioned, you've got the clown, the humorless, and love are sort of the big three. Love, in particular, is one of my favorites, because it's very Whedon-y. Yeah, like, it, it is a Whedon universe, so love is a drawback. Yep, a two or a four-point drawback. You don't get anything good out of being in love. No, love is only bad for you. Thank you, Joss Whedon. Yeah. So, maybe you will die. <laughs> maybe your love will die. More, more likely, your love will isn't die. Isn't that the difference? A two-point is a regular love, and you have to constantly think about them and make decisions that are based on what they oh, want. Yeah. A four-point is a doomed love. Yeah, no. Uh, regular love is you have to roll to see if you do anything that is against either helping your love or not paying attention to your love. And the four point is you are in love with someone and they are most likely going to die. <laughs> okay, um, the hit points of this game. Uh, they're called life points. Mm-hmm. And they have a fun calculation for how you earn them. Uh, it's see if I get this right. is add your strength to your constitution, multiply the result by four, and add ten. Yeah. yeah. Which is good because in so many of these games that have the strength dex con, 
Dex becomes your be-all, end-all stat. Mm-hmm. Because Dex is always, this helps you hit, and this makes it so you don't get hit. Yeah. So having strength doesn't matter if you aren't hitting someone, and having constitution doesn't matter if you're not being hit. However, in this, your actual hit points are tied in to your strength and constitution, and because it's multiplied by four, each point actually sort of matters. Yes. And they, they give you the add ten, because as we mentioned earlier, it's very possible to get a stat of one or two in something. So if you're playing a, say, first season Willow, and you're like, oh, I'm weak and and not strong, I'm weak and I'm weak-willed and I don't have any constitution, I have ones in all these stats. So you're you're multiplying, one, you're adding one to one to get two, multiplying that by four, and now you get eight. Yeah. And that means that most things are just going to kill you if they swing at you at all. So that's why they give you the plus ten to make up for the... Just in case you are a human and you don't really have anything above, like, a two or a three, then, okay, you don't just instantly die. Yeah. There are other ways to get additional hit points as well. Uh, in the in the penalties and drawbacks, you can you can purchase the equivalent, the D&D equivalent of tough. Yeah. Uh, so you can end up with some additional hit points via that. Combat in this game is very simple. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you use the, the basic target mechanic. You add your stat to your ability. So if you've got a three in getting medieval and a five strength, and you add those together, and you get eight, you add that to a D10, and then you attack the defense of whatever it is you're attacking. And one of the things that I really like about this game is that they, and this is early in in role-playing game design to see this, uh, they simplify monsters a lot. Oh, yeah. Monsters are no longer full stat blocks where it's, we have every stat out, we have them with, like, full ability spreads and full penalties and bonuses and whatnot, and basically break it down to three things. Yeah, what well, you're trying to beat them with. Are you trying to hit them, then you're attacking their, their body. body. Are you trying to outsmart them, then you're attacking their smarts. Yeah, you've got uh, brains, body, and the charm or cool or something like that? Something that's yeah. essentially the, I, their willpower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can attack them in those. So basically, a monster is nothing but three different target difficulties that rep- represent how you're trying to beat it. It also probably has a bag of life points that you try and yeah. yeah. So so it's it's interestingly simple. Uh, you can easily generate any kind of monster you need to fight. And of course, we're talking about Buffy. So monsters could be monsters. Uh, they might be ghosts or Dracula or vampire, or regular vampires or werewolves or what have you. But they could also be you know bullies. Yeah, you can fight a jock. Sure. So it's nice that you can quickly generate a uh, a villain to fight very easily and have a whole bunch of them that, that you can have in front of you when you're playing as the director, which is the storyteller or dungeon master of this game. And one of the nice things is, and we mentioned this before talking about Heroes Unlimited, where they didn't have any sort of, these are sample character things for you to fight. In the back of this book, it has a fairly extensive bestiary of, here's a novice vampire, here's a experienced vampire... Here's a werewolf, here's several different demon types, here's, you know, a jock, here's a zombie jock, and so it gives you a lot of things to play with just in case you don't want to make up stats, and it gives you it gives you stats for all of the uh, the named villains that were in the show. Yeah. So if you're fighting the Master, or you're fighting Adam, or Glory, or any of that, right? it has those stat blocks just in case you wanted to run that in your game. And it does leave open the option that if you really want to stat out one of your char- your enemies and have a full set of stats for them, like if you want to put Dracula into your game, which I understand happened on Buffy once. It did indeed. I have seen three episodes of Buffy. Um, I have seen the one where she fights Dracula. Oh, good. It's one of the three. I think I actually watched it specifically because I heard she fights Dracula, and I was like, well, that I gotta see, and it was terrible. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, anyway, 
So it's fine if you want to stat out your character entirely. This I love. I, I absolutely love it when games simplify the monster math down to some simple thing to make it easy for the, the uh, storyteller, director, what have you. Uh, and, and the reason is because I was raised on, like, first edition Dungeons & Dragons, 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons, where monsters had, not only did they have whole stat blocks, but their stats were so, so complicated that sometimes even the book couldn't properly describe to you <laughs> the monster that it had created using the system it created to describe the monsters it was creating. So, like, for example, you would have, like, these intelligent fungus rocks that would roll towards you, and they had, was intelligence? Not measurable. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and, of course, that means, does that, does that mean it's hyper-intelligent or not intelligent? Its intelligence is different than human intelligence, and so uh... it's, well, everything's intelligence is different. Oh, I hate you. And not only that, but then it would tell you how many of them appear, and you could tell back when, in the early days of monster design, and to this day in certain games, that, they are being designed by people who are way more in love with just kind of tables and ecology than they were with the concept of, of someone's going to have to fight these. Well, yeah, because it would say something like, how many of these appear? And the, the range would be something from, like, 6 to 75. And like, if I roll 75 on this table for how many appear, this is going to wipe out any party that I have it go against. Even if it doesn't, it's going to be boring as hell. And the one that always comes to mind for me is is the basic Modron and, and anyone who, anyone's a regular nerd knows what a Modron is. They're the, they're the walking dice from, from, uh, Planescape <laughs> Torment. Uh, and, and they've been around for forever. Um, the basic one is called Duodrone. That's the one that's actually six-sided. And its number appearing is 12 to 144. Yeah. Now that's a first edition thing. It says 12 to 144. So, just like all of you are still trying to do to work out how you roll 6 to 75, uh, these, the old first edition book didn't tell you the dice math. It would just tell you the number. So yeah, 12 to 144 is 12 D12. Yep. So you roll 12 D12 to see how many duo drones show up. And even if your party is strong enough to have gone to the lawful neutral plane of mechanists in the first place, and can probably just slaughter their way through 144 duo drones, who wants to? Well, at that point, you're like, oh god, why are we doing this? Well, it said this is how many appear. And their treasure type is J. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fact that there isn't a lot of that in this game. And, of course, treasure doesn't really matter in the Buffy universe. No one's really getting a hold of any mystical item. Or if you are, it's it only element. matters for that story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what is? are there relevant mystical elements or items that existed in the Buffy universe during the show? No. The, I mean, there were definitely things like, this is this amulet, this amulet is specifically for this demon. Or... Here's a sword that you have to use to kill specifically this demon. So there was never a point where I, I'm going to pull a name out of my ass, and hopefully it's a bully or a Buffy character. There's never a point where Cordelia was like, "I'm wearing a ring of plus one." No, no, no one ever gets the "I've got this, and this is my favorite whatever." Okay, I know there's at least one important mystical artifact because the fir first episode of Buffy I ever saw featured her, uh, and that was the little sister character. Dawn, yes. Yeah, yeah. She's she's like a mystical artifact, sort of. Um, well, she she is mystical energy given a form. I fine. And that form is form is a whiny ass teenager. You know, if I were to take mystical energy and shape it into a girl, I would probably end up with Michelle Trachtenberg too. <laughs> Wait, is that is that statutory sounding? Is that that's probably a little a little gross. A little gross. Okay, I, I meant Michelle Trachtenberg from the Pete and Pete era, and it was because she was cute. 
That's that's worse somehow. Yeah, damn it! <laughs> no, no, I meant I meant Euro Trip. Michelle Track. There we go. Oh, that movie's so awful, though. <laughs> yeah, but that would make sure that everyone stayed away from my mystical energy. I don't want to go <laughs> over near that mystical energy. It's I don't Michelle want to watch Euro, Euro Trip. How dare you? <laughs> DVD cover and flies at her top comes off. <laughs> it does not, by the way. Spoiler alert, no tits. No Michelle Trachtenberg boobies in Eurotrip. <laughs> this has been the R- or When Do You Get to See Michelle Trachtenberg's Boobs podcast, episode one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, the, <laughs> the, the, the game doesn't really have a, a way for you to get more power outside of just XP. And the nice thing is it does give you XP for Things like, you were in character, or you did a really cool thing, like you had some stunt that you pulled that was really awesome, get an XP. Or, actually, it gives you those for, it gives you drama points for those. You can actually get drama points just straight for up, creating just drama. To, yeah. Which is essentially like getting XP, since it would normally cost you. To, to bring it back to Exalted, that's a stunt die. Yeah. It's a little more long-lasting, but that's what it is. So, if you are awesome in the game, you get a mechanical benefit to make sure that you can be awesome later. Yeah, which is good. Uh, it's it's a nice system that keeps the baloney rolling, so to speak. It mm-hmm. keeps things moving forward. Uh, the game inc- inc- rewards play with play, which, again, is a problem you'll encounter in a lot of role-playing game systems, where the, where the best possible solution is to not go in that dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> and I think one of my favorite things that they did in that system is specifically you can get drama points for going along with the story as well. If the the director says, okay, uh, you know, Spike and Drusilla come out and they are going to kidnap your character. If you are like, okay, I'm going to be taken out of the story for a bit, I'm essentially the damsel in distress for a, a while, as a reward for not just being like, God, this sucks, I hate that. You'll get drama points and be able to continue playing in the game. And have the fun story. And, and, and honestly, that is awesome. That's a really, really good idea. Because one of the things that will drive people nuts, and one of the first things that will drive away new role players when they come into groups, is dealing with people that try to control all the variables. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll encounter this a lot when you're playing with role-playing groups, that there'll be at least one, usually two players at every table that do this thing, where they're like, well, we come up to the dungeon. Okay, I'm going to release a bunch of chickens into the dungeon to see if any of them die immediately. Um, how old is the dungeon? I would like to know the exact year of age of each one of the bricks at the front entrance so I can determine the type of monsters that are likely to be contained within. Uh, I would also like to know the relative oxygen density inside of the dungeon so I know whether or not I can bring any particular grade of torch. Oh my god, you need to stop talking or my eyes will roll out of my head. I'm going to touch everything in the dungeon before I touch it with my hands with an 11-foot pole. Note that my feet do not touch the ground. It's one of my pet, my uh, merits that I took earlier. Uh... I have a hood drawn over my eyes. so I And this sort of thing where you're like, I'm controlling all the negative variables. I, f- to me, uh, the the ultimate goal of, me, of my playing session is that I want to be an adventurer who's standing outside of a dungeon, and then an hour later be an adventurer standing outside that same dungeon, and nothing has changed except I have all the treasure. Yeah. The fact that so often when you know that there's like, there's going to be traps in this area, or there's going to be some penalty that happens, instead of 
trying to engage with the environment, the whole point is to have as little contact with what the DM has set up as possible. Yeah, that zero-risk gameplay style of role-playing will drive away new players who don't care. And, and also, it drives away DMs. It really does. DMs want your player, their players to be like, hell yeah, I'm throwing myself in, that, in the path of that oncoming train because that is what you are doing. <laughs> if you're saying, no, uh, I will... I will carefully back away from the dungeon and see if anyone else goes in, then you're not really even playing the game. I, yeah, well, I mean, at that point, if, let's say, the the guy who's running the game sets up and there's a trap, and the trap changes your sex. However, something later on in the dungeon, he knows that there's something that deals with having a changed sex. And if you decide, okay, we found some ridiculous, clever way to not have to deal with anything in your dungeon, he's like... Why did I even write an adventure? Why didn't I just say, you guys show up at the mouth of the cave. Inside the cave is three plus one long swords. Have fun. I'm going to go get some food. Right. It, it, if you want to take anything away from this particular mini rant from the both of us, it's trust your DMs. They are trying to tell a story. They're trying to use your help. Let them do it. Maybe, yeah. maybe you'll take some hit point damage. Maybe your character will even die. But you know what? You're allowed to roll another one. <laughs> yeah. If, if your DM says... You come to a town, don't be like, oh shit, we have to wait outside this town for ten hours and scope it forever. What's the population of the town? <laughs> what kind of architecture do they use? <laughs> what are you again? Are you, aren't you like a level one fighter? Are you, what, what are you, you doing? I care. Did you bring surveying equipment? Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, try it yourself. Play Dungeons and Dragons with some strangers sometime and see if this does not happen. Pretty much the whole way through. It's a, it's a natural human inclination to minimize risk. You really don't want anything bad to happen to this character that you've invested so much energy in. And so you'll play through and go, well, I'm not going to let anything happen. I'm going to touch everything with a, uh, with a pole on the end of a rope on the end of a chicken. So I don't, I, so even if there's a shock going through it, it gets the rope, then the chicken, and not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, not even playing. I'm, nope, nope, can't touch me. I want to play in the squirt gun fight, but my parents said I can't get wet. Yeah. And, the the mechanical bonus for allowing yourself to be in danger means that not only are you going to get like the new players, the people who don't really know what's going on, they're going to be fine because they're like, oh, cool, I, I get to be engaged in the story, I'm part of what's going on, and I get a little something out of it. But the min-maxers are also going to go, oh, man, you mean I'm going to get a drama point? I don't, I don't have to do anything? I just have to be bait? Oh, great, that's free XP! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm now, because I am a natural min-maxer by trade, I am now trying to picture the development of a character in this game whose job is living bait. Oh, you mean Dawn? Yeah, Dawn. <laughs> so all I do is I just gain XP for constantly putting myself in danger, and I'm I'm maximized my my other stats and build around that concept. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, my new character. If we play this game at some point, which uh, would you? I would I would definitely play this game. I think you know may as well talk about our favorites and least favorites on this game. Sure. My favorite thing about this game is the inherent power imbalance. In so many games, uh, you know, anything out there, you look at, if you're playing a game where, like we said in Heroes Unlimited, I'm some mega hero that shoots power beams out of his face and I'm invulnerable, and my buddy is a vigilante who essentially just has slightly higher skills than me, it doesn't feel good because we're both fighting the same things and the plot doesn't really work as well. Same thing with D&D, if you're a level 20 wizard versus a level 20 fighter, you just are useless as a level 20 fighter, aside from a meat bag. Yeah. So, in this game, you get that power imbalance 
but it has a good system with the drama points to try and counter that out for what you can do. And it specifically has things like, even if you aren't the most powerful person in the game, you still have narrative control, which is one of the biggest problems with not being powerful in other games. That's definitely the big wizard versus fighter problem. Yeah, the wizard can go, well, I decide how this encounter goes down. Yeah. I can skip things that I don't want to do or make things happen that I do want to happen. Yeah. In this game, the opposite happens. If you're the character who's not especially tough or strong, if you're not the slayer, then you get these narrative control elements. And it's not like you have the... And we're not saying that, that you know, a Xander counts as a level 20 D&D wizard. That's not where we're going with this. But rather... Xander has better narrative flow access uh, if you're playing in this game as him. Uh, if, you know, for example, Spike bursts in with, with a gun and starts... I, I'm sure that doesn't happen. No. Um, okay, let's... Uh, whatever. The, the initiative soldiers burst in and start shooting. Then Xander's going to be the guy who knows to accidentally lean back against the, uh, the, the fire alarm and make the rain, make water fall on them and screw up their shots or something. It's that kind of, kind of fun, goofy, narrative, movie style control that he's being given access to. Yeah. And as someone who doesn't have as much power, the fact that you can still go, you know what? I'm going to be the guy that finds the item that we need to do this. And you can still be a hero in the story without having to be supernaturally strong or have some spells that you cast. Which is a great way to reward a system that wants you to do that, because it would be very difficult to play this game otherwise. If you think about it, the, the whole concept of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is predicated on the notion that there's only one Buffy. Uh, there's there's a Slayer. Yes, I know there's two. <laughs> yeah, I was giving him the look. I can see your face that you want you want to start telling me all about faith and Eliza Dushku. And well, what, you gotta have faith. You gotta have. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> and I, I was even the limp biscuit one. I'm not even gonna let, let you have the George Michael one. You know, not. To, I, I'm just saying I would touch her body. <laughs> I think it would be nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing she'd probably kick me. Probably. Yeah. You know, or stab you. One of she's evil. Well, Faith, yeah. I'm thinking of Dollhouse. Eliza <laughs> she was also evil. I have seen Dollhouse. <laughs> oh, I love that you've seen Dollhouse and you haven't seen Buffy. Of all the Whedon to see. I've seen all other Whedon. I've seen everything but Buffy <laughs> and Angel. I, I, so that's that's what it is. It's just because Buffy is daunting. It's kind of like, um, we have time to talk here. It's kind of like how I haven't seen much of Breaking Bad. And I always have people going, oh my god, you need to get into it. Breaking Bad's amazing. And then I open up Netflix and look at it. I'm like, ah, oh, five seasons of amazing. I I don't know if I care that much. I, where, just tell me the ten episodes I need to see that matter, and I'll do that. And, then, oh. and the answer is always, no, it's it's, it's all it's amazing. And you have to see every aching minute of it. Then you have to learn all these jokes about breakfast and just, ah, uh, just, ah. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... So, I mean, I'll eventually get around to watching Buffy. For God's sake, I watched Sequest the other day. That So, why, why wasn't I watching Buffy at that time? I, it, well, it's because I'm the ultimate Roy Scheider superfan. <laughs> yeah, you have the Roy Scheider patch on your jacket. <laughs> it's just made of Roy Scheider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back to creepy. <laughs> so, it's very leathery. <laughs> so, the... And I'd probably say my, my least favorite thing in this is the tone that the book takes, that sort of yeah. goofy, friendly bit, because if you are both experienced role players and new role players who picked up this book, you're like, you know what, I do like Buffy, and I was thinking about either, you know, getting this for my DM, or maybe running a game, trying to read through when everything is in that voice is just like, 
I don't want to read this anymore. I don't care how good your system is. This is annoying. There are a number of games that are like that. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a couple different role-playing games that I just couldn't play, and it was because they had buried a lot of the rules into the chapter text. So there'd be fluff, and then right in the middle of the fluff, it'd be like, well, frogmen get a plus one to hit the the witches. You're like, what? why is that in there? Why is that in the table? Uh, anyway, to I, I agree that the, the voice is awful in this book. I mean, it's funny, and it's fun to read for a minute, and then you realize this book's like 300 pages long, and it describes a game. Yeah. Uh, just... But to back that up, let me go ahead and read you a paragraph of text from this book. Okay. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to get my voice ready. Okay, this is the first paragraph of the Getting Started section on page 10. Okay, I'm sold, you say. Let's stop yapping and get slain. Hold on there, Skippy. Got a couple things to gather first. The key thing is this book. But you are, you're already covered on that, right? Otherwise, this whole thing gets way too metaphysical. One more thing, having the book isn't going to do it. You, or at least the director, is going to need to read it, or at least flip through it a bit. Go on, it won't hurt a bit. It's got pretty pictures, lots of show quotes, and some cool parts. Honest. <laughs> and now, imagine that for 300 pages. I like the idea that it's trying to sell you on how it does have a lot of pictures from the show in it. And, and this is definitely true. About every third page is another picture of Sarah Michelle Gellar from like a like a calendar shoot she did in the 90s. <laughs> and I mean like as a Buffy calendar shoot. So it's a lot of tube tops and, and tank tops. That's all. That's what you're getting in this book is a lot of pictures of Sarah Michelle Gellar in light blue. Yeah, the again, that tone, even if they aren't going for it, is so condescending. But like, oh, come on, just, you know, flip through it. And there's pretty pictures because I know you're an idiot. You can't actually read for 300 pages. You know what? This is one of my favorite sections of every role-playing game ever is that part at the very beginning that's for people who don't know what a role-playing game is. Like, if you're buying your very first role-playing game ever, what do you think of the odds that it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer the role-playing game? I guess if it's 1994 and you're the huge Buffy fan, then maybe you have a chance of that. Maybe. Uh, but, okay, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, here's the third paragraph, same section. Dice indeed! You've no doubt seen the small cubes with dots, called pips if you must know, or numbers on them. They can be found in old copies of Monopoly, Parcheesi, or Trivial Pursuit. Heck, you could even bust them out of their confining bubble in frustration or trouble. Always wanted to do that, eh? Okay, first of all, let's just go ahead and say, if you have an old copy of Trouble, don't break open your Pop-O-Matic bubble, because you know what's in a Pop-O-Matic bubble? Fucking D6s. <laughs> <laughs> this game uses D10s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that is unfortunate. That'd be really sad. Someone reads that paragraph, immediately goes, runs to their cabinet, smashes the popomatic bubbles like, I'm ready to do this. Now get some ten sided dice. No <laughs> You've tricked me again, Buffy. Okay, so yeah. The tone of this game is ludicrous. It's 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 hard to even read. <laughs> You'll find this in a lot of licensed games. They, they, if all you have is a license, then what you want to do is milk that sucker for as much as you possibly can. And this one did it by having show quotes on every single page. The page I'm reading has two show quotes on it. Yeah. Uh, it's got one at the start of every time they start a new little subheading. Uh, it, and pictures of every character as much as they can get away with. They will always try to encourage you to play as the characters from the show, but then give you lesser versions of them in case you don't. And I'll discuss, that'll be my least favorite, just because I was going to go with the voice of the book, too. <laughs> so, I need something new. Um, anyway, as you were. Uh, and that's that's basically my my likes and dislikes for that. You know, get the, the neat way you incorporate imbalance into the game. 
that looks like it's imbalancing, but has a good balance to it. And then, of course, the voice for just just the worst. <laughs> it's so annoying. Okay, my favorite thing in this book, and it came up earlier, but I'll reiterate it. I like games that make it easy for the person running the game to run the game. Games that give you a good toolkit for being the dungeon master, or in this case, the director, are awesome to me, because that is a hard role. You'll often find you have groups of five people where none of them want to be the person running the game. And this game wants someone to run the game and wants it to be easy for them to do it. So, you know, you have to fight a bunch of thugs, just come up with three numbers. That's what the thugs have. Go. You're off to, off to the races. Have fun with it. It does the same thing with the way that you hand out XP, with the way you hand out drama points. It makes it very easy to create a story and expect that your players will actually follow along. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of that. And that is a problem. You'll find that that, that is the hardest thing to do in a lot of games. Uh, you're trying to run some some rifts or some Dungeons and & Dragons, and you will always find what we were joking about earlier, that players are going to do their best to hijack it. And this game is built around the notion that that's going to happen and tries to give you an out. Yeah, and I think you see that with other games, especially along the lines of certain players want to do certain things, other players don't, and depending on how powerful the character is or how powerful the personality of the person behind the character is, you can have people just sort of hijacking the story and doing whatever the hell they want with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, my least favorite thing. The book has stat pages for all of the Scoobies. So you've got your Xander page and your Cordelia page. It even has the characters who I think were probably off the show by this point. Uh, The one that I'm thinking of is Seth Green. Oz, yes. Yeah, I don't think he made it all the way to season five. Uh, He was out by season four, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and it gives you, it even gives you stats for what characters who were gone by season one or two or five would look like if they weren't gone. So it's got like an updated version of what's Oz up to these days? Making robot chicken. Actually, I think he probably would have been trying to make Greg the Bunny. Uh, or he was just doing Austin Powers movies. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it gives you the stats for what they're doing. And then it goes, well, maybe you don't want to play the Scoobies. Maybe you actually want to make new characters and play those. Because Ward knows about three quarters of the book is given over to character creation rules. So maybe you actually want to use those. And then it gives you, just in case you don't want to play the Scoobies, but you're too dumb to make to, to make your own character, it gives you a bunch of fun templates of characters that are kind of like the guys who aren't quite got the guys. <laughs> so, like, you've got the psychic and the former Scooby member and the watcher and the jock and the martial artist. And the martial artist is like, a, what, what would you say this picture is? Because most of this book, again, is uh, pictures from the show. It's, it's uh, promotional still frames from the show that they probably purchased from the same company that made stickers and... Like, notebooks and stuff. That, But then, right when it cuts to things that aren't specifically from the show, like this martial artist, they cut to some artist yeah. to, to do it. And, and it, it, it looks re- like it's it's a 90s white wolf guy. Oh, no. It, it really looks like uh, Corello went up to his friend that posts on DeviantArt and was like, Can you give me a basketball player that's doing kung fu with a sword, but he's totally street, yo. Yeah, he's extremely street, and he's got a whole bunch of streamers coming off, everything on him. I think he's got at least four streamers coming off as he kind of diagonally jumps upward against his weird blue Maiden Bryce 3D background. This picture looks exactly like one of the characters from that Street Fighter the role-playing game. Yeah, no, he looks like he's about to do a tiger knee. Yeah, he's doing a tiger knee in the picture. And then, of course, it gives him a huge list of things that he's thinking, like a whole page of what's up with this guy. The Temple of the White Crane was my home, hidden away from the cities and chaos of the outside world. And a quote for you, because 
this is a 90s trope as well in role-playing games, is that they thought you could sum up a whole character in a little quip, and you were supposed to write one for your own character. And this guy says, What is the sound of my right foot smacking your left cheek? Let's find out. Ugh. Do you imagine him saying that during gameplay? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, I can. Yeah. To me, that's one of those speech moments, you know, like the TV tropes, like, I pity you, I really do, type moment, where someone's, like, gonna start delivering that lecture that you know... The funny thing is, it's Whedon. Whedon knows that those lectures aren't real. Like, anytime that happens in a Whedonverse, they go, like, I pity, pap, just punch in the face. Like, that's how you move the story along. Characters aren't allowed to give their dumb speeches. Yeah, no, Whedon is great about whenever anyone starts monologuing, something will stop that monologue, whether it's them getting hit in the face or, like, the roof caves in on them, something will happen. Yeah, they usually die. Monologuing is a death sentence in a Whedon show. I mean, granted, this is only one sentence, but you know he's going to keep going after what is the sound of my right foot smacking your left cheek. Yeah. No, there's that, especially putting that quote in there is like, hey, try and come up with every stupid kung fu thing you could ever possibly say to someone and have that be all you say to anyone. Here's the psychic. The psychic is just like the martial artist. It's just a, a crappy psychic. It's a girl wearing a spaghetti strap tank top with snake hair and a mini skirt, and she looks she's kind of annoying looking. She very looks very white wolf, very nineties. Um, we got a whole page of how she predicted a bus accident, and here's her quote: "I sense approaching chaos and terror." Ah, Tuesday, right on schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be fun. I'm gonna say that every time I ask my uh, my DM if it's Tuesday. Constant, so I can say my quote every time. <laughs> See now, and that would that would almost work if it was like I sense approaching danger and chaos, and then camera pulls back and you're at like a Macy's sale. Oh yeah, that'd be perfect. That'd be a very Buffy moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, it finishes with Ah Tuesday, which ugh. So I don't like these. I don't like these in any game. Whenever the game's like, here's a bunch of characters you could play as, because <laughs> apparently you didn't read the rest of the book. Yeah the the sample character thing. I'm like. If you're someone that doesn't want to make their own character, and you also don't want to just pick one of the actual main continuity characters as well, like, why did you get this book? I know. If you bought the Buffy the Vampire Slayer book, it's because you're either a huge fan of Unisystem, or you're a huge fan of Buffy, or you have a podcast where you review old role-playing games. (laughs) Uh, let's give our final judgments on this thing. We do not use rating systems. We just make them up for each individual <laughs> game. So I'm going to invite John to go ahead and tell me what he would give this game. Uh, I'm going to give this a uh, four out of five Buffies. Okay. That is first season Buffy, Return from the Dead Buffy, the first Buffy bot, and the second Buffy bot. However, not the original movie Buffy. No movie Buffy. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to give this three... No, no, actually, you know, I actually kind of like this game. I'm going to give this five out of eight slices of the DM's pizza. <laughs> All right. Uh, next week, you can tune in. We're going to be reviewing a Avalon Hill classic from the early 90s called Tales from the Floating Vagabond. Uh, look forward to that. See if you can find a copy. Uh, it's Good cur- luck. Good luck. It's very hard to find, and most of them are in tatters. Uh, you can actually find a Kickstarter from the original author right now attempting to create a new Tales from the Floating Vagabond that'll be three times the size and probably one-third the charm. So look forward to us doing that. And let's go with the final judgment here. Would you play this game? Would you sit down with a group of people and play this game? I would I would definitely play this game. I would not want to do the original cast, but I would love to do a, a side adventure that 
the main cast is off doing whatever, and this is what life is like in Sunnydale for people that aren't one of the main cast. Okay, so what you're picturing, for example, is the Scooby gang goes to Hawaii, and then here's what's happening while the Scooby gang is in Hawaii. There's... Yeah. Or even or even just something's going down in Sunnydale, they're fighting the big bad. While this is happening, like six blocks away, what's going on with regular folk? Alright. Here's my uh take on this. I would play this game, uh, but I would have all the characters pile into a Chevy and then teleport back to the fourteenth century and meet Ash. <laughs> and I would play that. That's how I would play this game. All the Scoobies and Ash and Boomsticks and Deadites. Oh man, I do not want to play in your game. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why not. You get to do advanced scenes where you get all kinds of drama points for doing backflips on your own while your hand pulls you around. Doesn't that sound great? Oh, yeah. No, that, that sounds like a wonderful time. All right. Well, uh, this has been System Mastery. As always, you can visit us at systemmasterypodcast.com to make fun of us, or visit us at the System Mastery page on Facebook, or at System Mastery at Twitter, or System Mastery at gmail.com if you just want to send us insults or pictures of your penises or whatever it is that you're planning on doing. <laughs> Please don't send us pictures of your penises. Also, your penises, like you have multiple peni. Yeah, it's a collection. Yeah, this, uh, this is my penis collection. Yeah, yeah, I have a penis collection. I don't see why that's a problem. All right. Um, thank you very much, and good night.